Hey, good morning still. Good to see everyone. I hope you're doing well. Um, as I'm sure as uh, Pastor Sam had mentioned, we are excited about Easter and just the opportunities we have. And I want to just encourage you to invite a friend out. Um, a couple weeks ago, at about a month ago at Irvine, we went around and just passed out invitations and uh, for people to come to church. And we weren't sure if people were going to take that and come, but um, we had a, a, a whole group of people show up. And, um, and so just asking, and sometimes the unlikeliest of people uh, will come out. And it is an Im important time. It's eternal stuff we're talking about. And so um, ask them to come out. I know Pauline, and the, they're doing a great job prepping. They were talking about doing like renting like puppies for kids to play with. And I mean, we're just going to... Um, you know, Easter egg hunt, all that good stuff. So make sure you invite them out and come on out to Easter and uh, all the good things that are happening. Um, then, you know, when we are growing up, and all of us have probably heard this, right? And um, how many of you have heard your parents ever have warned you, don't hang out with them, they're bad, but hang out with them, they're studious and good. How many of you have heard that? We've heard that before, right? Some of you are like, I don't know. You know, you could raise hands, right? Um, and so we've heard that. Our parents have told us that. Some of you who are parents now end up sharing that to your children. Don't hang out with them. You know, they look just dirty. Don't hang out with those kids. They look dirty. Don't hang out with those kids. Um, you know, they don't study as much. And some of us have been on the wrong end of that where someone else's mom has told their kid not to hang out with you because you look like this or whatever, right? Um, we've heard that. We say that now. And it's really something that's mentioned in the text today. Uh, it says this in verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate evil, uh, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God, it says. So it's interesting. Those words that we've all kind of heard uh, many times that we tell to our kids is written by, Paul, uh, written by John to the readers. Imitate what is good. Do not imitate what is evil. And in this short letter, Right? In 3 John, this very short letter, it tells us who we ought to imitate and what not to imitate. There's three people who are named. Two are positive, one is negative. We read about it right now. Um, we're going to look at those three. What are we to imitate? What are we not to imitate? What is considered good? What is considered evil? And we're going to look at that this morning. The first person who is mentioned, his name is Gaius. All right? Uh, Gaius. And uh, he's mentioned in verse 1 and all the way through. Um, the letter is written to him. And this is what it says here to Gaius, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Verse 5, beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Now let me just pause here. What is Gaius doing? Gaius is showing hospitality to those who are doing God's work. He's taking care of them, basically. He's housing them. He's feeding them. He's taking care of the people who are doing God's work, the missionaries that would come around. And back in those days, um, they would come and they would bring letters. And they would come and they would come to the, the church in this area and they would come and um, they didn't have easy to uh, access motels and hotels. They'd have to stay at people's homes. It was very difficult. And so they would come, and someone like Gaius was the one that would house them. He would feed them. 
And one of the ways to show hospitality in, in biblical culture days is, is literally housing, anointing them with oil, which we see in the Bible, washing their feet, giving them bread, giving them water. These were essentials. These were hard to get. There was no drive through There were no options to travel at night. You show up and you better hope someone's going to open the door. And so in the midst of that, Gaius is the positive example. He is hospitable. He receives the workers of God and he takes care of them. The positive thing that we are called here is to take care of those who do the work of God, to partner with missionaries and missions agencies and, and to be involved in it personally. It tells us here in verse 7, for they have gone out. These are talking about the, the Christians who are spreading the word of God. They have gone out for the sake of the name, the name of Christ, right? Um, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, like these, that they may be fellow workers for the truth. You know, John Stott in his commentary says this, and I quote, an important principle lies buried here, namely that we Christians should finance Christian enterprises, which the world will not and should not be expected to support. There are many good causes which we may support, but we must support our brothers and sisters whom the world does not support. It says in verse 7, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. This is even different than a, a nonprofit secular organization. Some of us might get involved in the good work that's there. But they can get grants from the government and so on. He says these people who come in the name of Jesus, the people who are solely dependent on the work of the church, on the support of the church, we ought to take part in this. One of our partners, and I, I'm flipping on my phone, not to check um, NC2A scores or anything like that, but I I'm, um, wanted to share a letter with you. Uh, Ebenezer Seminary is one of the uh, partners that we have in India. Dr. Thomas, if you've been at our church, you've heard him and met him. Uh, when he's come to share with us. So we support them. We pray for them. They're in the southern tip of India. And uh, hundreds and hundreds of people throughout the whole uh, country of India have come through, and Asia, have come through and studied there, and they've gone back to share the gospel. Uh, kingdom work in a very difficult land. And he sent me an email this week, and I wanted to read uh, what he had shared. And he talked about the hardships that they're facing nowadays with persecution. And this is what he said. Recently, with the ascend or the rise of Hindu religious majority government, the Hindu militant groups' activities and speeches have created an atmosphere where the religious minority groups are once again made to live in fear. They hate Christians because they say Christianity did not originate in India, hence considered Christians as a foreigner. A Hindu leader stated recently that the inhabitants of India are Hindus, and India is a Hindu country, and all those... And everyone else uh, should not belong. And so they face this persecution. And it's easy to dismiss it as, well, that's his problem. I'm glad I'm not there. Boy, I'm glad I don't have to deal with that. I'm glad I'm not in that part of India. I'm glad I don't have that persecution. I could come freely to any church I want here. We could assume that that could be our response. But what he's saying here is that the kingdom cause is our cause. You know, in our Western culture today, everyone is so individualized. It's my experience, my needs. I pay for my own meal. It's my things, me, me, me. And it's very compartmentalized. It's my life and your life. My problems, your problems. My money, your money. But here, what we see is if it's kingdom related, we are now obligated to take part in this. We need to be a supporter. 
you ought to be supporting someone. Um, you ought to be praying for someone. If you don't know a, a, a missionary directly, um, you ought to say, hey, go up to one of the, go up to me or Pastor Sam, say, is there someone I could connect to? Someone I could support? Man, $50 a month, $200 a month, 30 maybe I, I don't have money, maybe I could pray for them. Maybe when they come, I could go and pick them up from the airport. I could do something. I could be on their team. Uh, all of us ought to be that. And I love that about the spirit of our church. That at Crossway, man, we have just people who are just generous, that are mission-minded. And over the years, as we have done different things and projects to support, it, it's always, everyone has, you have always stepped up. And we're reminded again that we have to keep going in these things. This week, uh, I was listening to a lecture on the life of William Tyndale. And William Tyndale was one of uh, these very important figures in our Protestant faith. Uh, William Tyndale uh, was influenced heavily by Martin Luther and the Reformation movement. And he wanted to bring the English Bible to England. And it was outlawed at the time. You could not have that. It was just set aside for the clergy. And even the clergy did not have a good translation. And so he wanted to take now the Hebrew, original Hebrew and the original Greek. He wanted to put it into the Greek, into the English, and have it ready. And Tyndale himself dedicated his life for that singular cause. Uh, he had... By the time he had finished studying in college, he had mastered eight languages. Eight. And he was gifted in this area to the point whenever someone would meet him and they talked to him in any one of their eight languages, one of the eight languages, they started talking to him. Everyone thought that was his first language because he was so proficient. And so he decided not to get married, to give his life to this. He becomes an exile uh, and escapes into different parts of Europe. And he goes to translate the Bible uh, into English. And he studies the Hebrew and the Greek, and he's trying to translate this. Well, the story goes, and he becomes a martyr. He ends up becoming martyred for the, uh, this heresy that they said uh, he had caused against the king and against the church, the Catholic church. Um, but one of the things that he had done is... Um, the story goes um, that he, he gets captured, um, kind of like a Judas Jesus uh, type of story where someone befriends him and the person that he thought was his friend was actually out to get an, a reward for getting him. And they take him for a walk at night and the soldiers ambush and capture him. Right? And eventually he is um, killed at the stake. They light him on fire. He's surrounded by gunpowder. And when they light him on fire, his whole body actually blows up. Right? And this is how uh, crude of a death he endured. But before he died, he made a prayer. He said a prayer and he prayed that God, he asked God that, that he would open the heart of the king of England, that they would have an English Bible. This was his life cause. And two years later, that happens. The king allows that to happen. But it's interesting that the night when he is caught, the night when he's betrayed, um, and, and they take him out, and they hear that he, they had caught him. One of his supporters is a guy named John Rogers. John Rogers was his kind of right-hand man. John Rogers had come to faith because of William Tyndale. John Rogers had grown in his faith because of Tyndale. And it was one of those loyal guys, I have your back kind of guys. And when he had heard what had happened to Tyndale, he rushes back to Tyndale's room. He gathers all the material that he's working on, all the translations that he had done. He collects all of it, and he rushes out before the soldiers could come and confiscate and destroy this precious work. 
Later on, in 1555, John Rogers himself is martyred for continuing the work of trying to uh, print the Bible in English. For every William Tyndale and Martin Luther and the Apostle Paul and whoever it is, there is always people behind the scenes. There's always a support system of people saying, I'm praying for you, I'm supporting you, I'm going to take care of you. As you do God's work, I'm here for you. And this is the positive thing we get from Gaius, that he had done these things. And we ought to do these things. It is, it is John Piper who says it so well in so, such a short sentence. He says, go, send, or disobey. Go, send, or disobey. And if we're not going, we ought to be sending. That we ought to be involved in the kingdom work. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 40, whoever receives you, he's talking to his disciples, whoever receives you, receives me. Whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. So he's telling the disciples, as they go, if someone accepts you, they're doing it not for your sake, but for my sake. You receive me. Whoever receives Christ now receives the one who has sent him. There's a direct correlation. As we do work, it's not so much to get a earthly plaque or or an award or recognized by that person, but it's to say, I'm doing this for Christ. And all of us ought to be engaged in some of these things. A negative example we see here now is a man named Diotrephes. Let's say that out loud together. One, two, three. Diotrephes. Now, none of us have friend uh, have a friend named Diotrephes or Jezebel, or I, at least I hope not, right? And um, Diotrephes. The negative example. The one who liked to put himself first. You think about our culture of our day. The, high, the, the culture of our day says you ought to be the best. You know, we want our kids to be the best. Shouldn't they go to the best schools? Shouldn't they do the best things? You know, who's going to be ranked number one when they now come out of this NCAA basketball? Who's going to be the best player? Who's going to get the first pick? You know, who makes the most money out of all the CEOs? Who makes the most money out of all the athletes? Who makes the most? We all are looking for number one, and we look to that, and we say, that is now what I desire. It's, it's all of us. And in the midst of this, in this Christian life, it is backwards. And he says, no, this guy loved to be first. We shouldn't be like him. It's interesting, his name, Diotrephes. Uh, one commentator notes about the meaning of his name. Like Gaius was a very common name. It was like a, a Paul or a Sam or a Steve. You know, a very common name, right? You had a lot of those. Whereas Diotrephes was a very unique name. No one had that name. It was a rich person's name. It was a snobby name. It literally mean, meant that Zeus raised him up. Like, so can you imagine naming your child, Zeus, the God is raising my child up, and how crazy that is? You know, when I um, was growing up, I grew up in Oakland. My, my school was, everyone was African-American except for me and Miss Wong, my teacher. And so um, I, we, I have my picture still, and some of you have seen it, but it's, me and Miss Wong, and, um, and that's, I went there, and then my parents finally sent me to a Christian private school, and it was a culture shock for me, because now everyone was Caucasian, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, except for me, right? Miss Wong didn't come, but it was just me, you know? And we had to, um, I remember the first day I was at Christian school, and the te- they would have praise time, you know, and the teachers on the, in the piano said, all right, boys and girls, we'd all sit down, red cardigan, blue slacks, black shoes, and I was like, what is this? And um, she's like, sing along, what are we going to sing? And she'd ask, 
you know, what do you want to sing? And I remember I, I was still kind of bold and, you know, I raised my hand and she said, what do you want to sing, young man? Yankee Doodle. That was the only song I learned my whole life. Let's sing Yankee Doodle. And they're like, we don't sing those songs. It was one of those Southwest want to get away moments. Like, we don't sing those songs here, son. And then everyone's looking at me like, mm, you know, you look different. You don't want to sing Yankee Doodle. We're all confused. Anyway, so, um, but I, the first day I get there, and I remember there was a group of girls. I think I was probably about fifth grade at the time. A group of girls. And they would talk towards this way where the boys were. And they kept calling us sir. And she kept calling me sir. And I thought, this Christian school is crazy. These young girls are calling me sir. They're so polite. And I was like, do I call them ma'am? What do I do? And I remember honestly thinking they called me sir. So several times, I was like, yeah, yeah. And then I come to realize the next day, there was a guy named sir in my class, right? His name is sir. And I'm like, your mama named you sir? They're like, yep. She called you sir your whole life? I tell this story to my kids, and I've looked them up on Facebook. I think I might have found them because there weren't too many sirs. But anyways, um, can you imagine? And I thought, you called your, your kid sir? You, you, you know, Diotrephes, raised by Zeus. Hey, you're raised by Zeus. Can you imagine the light? You could, you, would, you could kind of guess that he was now the little prince at home. Can do no wrong at home. Get all of his ways. He throws a tantrum. Everyone comes running over. Whatever you want, whatever you want. You're the best. You're number one. You're the best. And you may know someone like that. And someone's face is popping up in your mind. You're like, oh, I know someone that's like that. And they're 45 years old, still acting like that. And you know someone. And uh, that's maybe how he was raised. He comes into the church, and it's all about him. All of a sudden, it's no longer is it about the body, but it's about him. No longer is it about the organization he belongs to. It's about him. The servant leadership is obviously the other way around. How can I use my gifts to better the body? Not what can I gain from them and leech off of them. I heard a talk recently from uh, Don Carson, one of my favorite theologians um, from Trinity Seminary. He was talking about, um, in a Q&A session, about the students who come into seminary now at Trinity versus those who came in 20, 30 years ago. And he, he was mentioning how these students nowadays, the general answer he gets when he asks them, what brought you to seminary? What, what are you doing in ministry out of all things? Why are you at Trinity? And the, and the answer that he would often hear from them is, they would say, you know, ministry makes me feel good. It fulfills my needs. I feel like I'm being used by God. And it's a very self-centered answer. He said 20, 30 years ago, it was, I'm just here to serve. My church, you know, I'm here to serve my church. I'm here to learn and serve. And it's become a me, 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 I, I, I generation. And I've heard many people who go to the churches, the big churches, the nice churches, our church, wherever it is, and they say, it's so good. They sing the song. It, it was good for me. Man, my kids like it. It's good for me. I'm not saying we have to not enjoy ourselves, but we have to take that mindset out. In verse 9, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. He likes to put himself first. And it's interesting because in verse 9, he's written a letter to the church, and Diotrephes had intercepted it. He's blocked it. You can't read this. John comes with too much authority. John is the apostle. John's the one that Jesus called, the one he loved. He's the disciples, and he was blocking this because it was always about him. It was always about his needs and his authority and his feelings and his popularity. 
And we see this about him. Later on in verse 10, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. Not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who wants to put and puts them out of the church. Who wants to and puts, he won't even let people host people. He, he slanders people, he gossips against people. Because the moment I can gossip about someone, I feel like maybe I'm just better and I feel better. Maybe the person that hears about what I say about them will think, oh, you're just better. It doesn't work that way, does it? But here's someone that lived in this way. This past week, one of my seminary professors, Dr. Sosi, Robert Sosi, passed away. Um, he was, when I was there, the distinguished professor of theology. And if you've been in you know, uh, schools and programs, you know that title is kind of very rare. And someone will hold that title or chair, distinguished. You have like the adjunct, which is, you know, um, and then you have the assistant, associate professor, regular professor. Then you have the distinguished. He was the only one at the time. And he had passed away. And when I had him for those two classes, at that time, he had been teaching maybe almost 40 years. Uh, he died at 84. He's a total of 54 years he had taught. One of the things I learned from him, and I took two classes from him, is how humble and gentle he was. Almost to a fault. I, I used to, as a young person, I was more impatient then than I am now. And, um, you know, we'd be in class, and I'm here to listen to the distinguished professor. And then there would always be someone who was not distinguished, you know, who was a student, would always want to talk. It just drive me crazy. I'm like, hey, shut up. You know, like, he's distinguished. You're a nobody. Just, like, can we just be quiet and just listen? But, you know, they, Dr. Sosi, can I make a comment? Like, ask a question at least. Don't just say you want to comment. And they'd comment. And it was like Charlie Brown, you know, I didn't even understand when he went, wah, 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 and he would talk. And I'm like, really? And it used to really bother me um, to the point I, was, I wanted, hey, hey, you know, and, but um, Dr. Sosi would pause and he would listen to him. And he says, oh, well, thanks for sharing. Not only did he just kind of go over it, then he would say, well, if, if you think that, well, what do you think about this? And he would ask the guy to keep talking. And I was like, Dr. Sosi, tell him to shut up, you know, like, I, I, and he would, humbly talk to him. Now, I, I, there were other professors. There was one in particular back at, uh, at Talbot who was really mean. And so um, if you ever asked a bad question, he'd say, that's a stupid question. And that was kind of refreshing. That's a stupid question. Think before you speak. You're going to be in front of people talking about, think before you speak. Oh, I was just kidding. You know, I, I, I don't have it. But here, he was so gentle. And I, I think back on this. It's, it's a humility thing. He considered this person important. Him listening, him hearing them was important. And he would do this. And we would benefit from learning from someone like him and not someone like Theotrephes. We ought to learn what is good, not what is evil. We ought to learn and deny ourselves because our flesh tells us, put it yourself first. It's all about you. And it isn't. The only one that elevates a person is God. The one that takes him down is God. And so we learn that from him. And lastly, it's Demetrius. Not much is said about him, so I won't say that much. But it simply says in verse 12, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. It doesn't simply mean he's popular, but it has the idea that he's a man of integrity. Like everyone that's met him has said he's the real deal, man. What he says is how he lives. If he says he's going to be there, he's there. 
If he says this is important, it's important. Who he says he is is what it is. We, we know people like that. Uh, and there aren't as many. Once you get to really know someone, you say, man, you're, I think you're a phony, you're a fake, but this person was real. His faith was real. And so he was the same as he would be on Monday morning or Friday night or Sunday morning. This was just steady Demetrius. And everyone that encountered him said, he is the real thing. He is consistent. He's not up and down. He's not, you get to know him and you're disappointed. Boy, you get to know him and he's good. And everyone that knows him says the same thing. What a great trait for us to emulate. Not flashy, but faithful. I want to encourage us. I want to challenge us as a church to be people who are like Gaius, who are like Demetrius. Because the culture around us will keep telling us, hey, you deserve to be known. You deserve to be number one. This all exists for you. And it doesn't. And if we think about my, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as Philippians 2 tells us, he humbled himself from God to be a man, not just any man, to form of a servant, to die on the cross, and I'm following him? Who am I to say I deserve this and here am I, you know, it's about me. It's about him and I copy him. So everyone around us is important. Everyone around us is significant. The work that God is doing is important, more important than my little life. And I pray that we would be filled with people like this, kingdom-minded, consistent, not thinking about me and my little family, but thinking about the body of Christ and the work of God around us. Let's be faithful in this way. Uh, let's do some good work in this way. And let's be that person one day that someone will say, be like that sister and brother. As you go older, be like them. Let's make that our goal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that we have these positive examples around us that teach us so much. Gaius, who lived for something better than his own creature comforts, he lived for the advancement of the kingdom. He helped people who did the work of God. That was big on him. We thank you, Lord, for someone like Demetrius, who was just consistent, consistently faithful. Someone like Theotrophes, Lord God, we, we want to learn that it is not about me. The culture around us is filled with Theotrophes. It tells us that is important, but it isn't. And God, when we get to heaven one day and we meet these men, um, and Lord, they will all point to you, Jesus Christ, the one who humbled himself. And we will worship you together. And we look forward to that day, God. We thank you. Give us the strength to live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.